You ready to get going? Let's do it. Okay. Hi, Ashley. <laughs> Hi, Catherine. Welcome back to Book Fair, a podcast for readers by readers, answering our ever-present question, should I read that? What are we discussing today, Kat? Yay! Welcome back to Book Fair. Okay, today we are doing the usual, what are we reading, what's going on with books, and then we're getting into our top reads of 2023. So why don't you start with telling us what you're reading? I've had a killer two weeks of reading, I gotta say. I've been reading a lot of really good stuff since we last chatted. Last time we talked, I was reading Northwoods. Finished it. I adored it. It was a five-star read for me. I actually just picked that up. Oh, Based I'm so your glad. Recommendation. Okay, I want to. I will want to know everything that you think about it. I loved it. I think if you liked the Beasting, I think you would also like Northwoods. It's similarly a multiple perspective, but it has a lot more whimsy and um, it's a little bit more uh, experimental. I, I think I could see it being adapted by a Taran- by Tarantino. Interesting. Okay. It's just kind of like quirky and willing to be funny, but it's a serious novel. Um, I loved it. Great. I want to know what you have to say. So I finished that. And then I read Maggie O'Farrell's memoir, I Am, I Am, I Am. Have you read that? No, I haven't. So Ash and I are gigantic Maggie O'Farrell fans. She's the best. We love Hamnet. We love The Marriage Portrait. And I Am, I Am, I Am was written before both of those um, releases, which have been really popular. It's her memoir, and it's 17 near-death experiences. That Interesting. Yeah. Um, she was a, just a gorgeous writer. It was such an interesting way to think about your life. And they run the gamut from the being robbed at knife point, you know, moments when you are actively aware that your life is in danger. Yeah. And then um, experiences that we've all had, like getting caught in a rogue wave while you're swimming or something like that. I loved it. She's such a great writer. She's so good at t- writing about emotion without it being saccharine. It's beautiful. It's a really breezy read. I had first heard about it because I know we want to try to focus on where we pick up these books and how we decide what to read. I remember listening to NPR driving back from a ski trip, and it was the only th- radio station that I could get, and they were interviewing mm-hmm. her about it. <laughs> so I heard her NPR interview, and I was like, oh, this sounds really interesting. And then didn't pick it up and then once i loved hamnet and the marriage portrait i was like i should follow back up on that when i'm feeling like i need a little jolt of something good because i knew it was going to be wonderful and it was i'm really into that premise what an interesting way to structure a memoir yeah definitely i think sometimes with memoir too if it's overly structured it can feel a little trite Mm -hmm. um and this was the opposite of that this worked really well She's just a really extraordinary storyteller. And she's had a fascinating life. And she had a lot of interesting things to say about it. And a lot of near-death experiences. A lot. Yeah, 17 is a lot. (laughs) It did make me think about my own near-death experiences, and there are not 17. (laughs) Although, I guess she has a couple decades on me. Um, Okay, then I finished a book called Close to Home. It's by Michael McGee. And I found it because... Sarah Jessica Parker read it and loved it. SJP is a prolific reader and often likes great books. Okay, good to know. It was in her list of her favorite books from 2023. 
and it sounded interesting to me. So I grabbed it at Unabridge. I loved it. To me, it read like um, very similar to Sally Rooney. It's about a, a boy who's kind of Sally Rooney character age in Belfast dealing with okay. normal early 20-something problems. Sean, he comes back after getting his degree and just is kind of struggling to get a job and fit in. Um, and it's all sort of shadowed by the effects of the troubles on the generation above him and and, and this current generation that's now dealing with the economic and social uh, downfall of that. Um, it's so beautifully written. I just loved it. I loved it. I think it was like Sally Rooney, but better. It was Sally Rooney, but with a male protagonist and and smarter. Okay. Close to home. Who was the author? Michael McGee, M-A-G-E-E. Okay, great. So, loved that. Thank you, and now, Parker. Yeah, thanks, SJP. I'm almost done. Now I'm reading Dolly Alderton's newest, which came out in the States this past week. Good material. How are you feeling about that? Uh, I'm iffy on it. We we love Dolly as a journalist, I would say. I'm going to speak for both of us and then tell me mm-hmm. if you disagree. We love Dolly as a journalist. Obsessed with Dolly as a journalist, really. I love her writing. I loved her memoir, Everything I Know About Love. I did not love her last work of fiction. It was called Ghosts. I thought it was mm-hmm. pretty middling. And my expectations were low for this. I just... I was going in with the expectation that it would be more like ghosts than her other work. And so far, I would say that's true. So it's not disappointing, but I did go in with low expectations. Yes, I would agree. I love her. I love her nonfiction work. I loved everything I know about love. And I loved her collection of her Dear Dolly essays. I read that this year. I thought it was just like a really wonderful read and the exact kind of Dolly that I want and I felt a little bad because in the intro to her um, essay collection she's like everybody wants you to just write about you once you've written a memoir and I was like oh yeah that's me I want you to do that yeah we all want you to do that as it turns out that is what I'm looking for yes okay yeah no she writes about our generation so well and in a way that I think makes people our age feel really seen Mm-hmm. but she doesn't seem to make up characters as well as she responds to actual people yeah I think there's a key difference between being able to create something versus being able to keenly observe something and she is such yeah. a keen observer and that has served her so well as a journalist and as an advice columnist where she can make people feel so as you said so seen and she does such a good job of that but it doesn't translate as well to fiction for it us at least translate as well to fiction yeah it is really fun. It's a fun read, and I'm not sure that she's trying to make any big intellectual waves with this or anything like that. And I wasn't expecting that, but it it's not it's not making me feel anything. Okay. Yeah. Great. So it has been a good couple of reading weeks for you. I know. I know. Fantastic. January. I recently finished How to Say Babylon, which is a memoir by Sophia St. Clair. She is a Jamaican poet. I Hmm. love reading poets writing that is not poetry. Like a lot of people, I can find poetry to be more difficult, more inaccessible, but I don't think anyone is better with language than a poet. And so I love reading poets' essays or memoirs because they're so beautifully done. And this is no exception to that. A truly incredible book, but it's about growing up in Jamaica 
with a Rastafari father. So I really didn't know anything about the Rastafari movement until reading this, and I learned a lot about it. But basically, not to like white splain this, but basically it was no, a I don't, I don't know cultural movement that yeah. was really interested in like the freedom and liberation, but also was really difficult for women. It was really restrictive for women. And so her experience growing up in that environment and it's a lot about her mother's experience as well because her mother was very young when she met her father and she becomes fascinated by language and poetry is what kind of saves her and brings her out of this and so it was a beautifully done memoir really interesting i learned so much about something i knew nothing about and the writing was incredible so highly recommend that okay there awesome. is some list. like domestic violence some heavy themes so you do have to be prepared to take that on if you are squeamish about any of that totally understand but i thought it was definitely one of the best memoirs nice. i've read honestly what was the name again how to say babylon okay by sophia st Clair. and another one i'm in the middle of i am actually listening to it as an audiobook because i walk to work and in losing my commute i lost some of my read time so i'm trying to get mm -hmm. more into audiobooks and i am listening to 112366 by stephen king Oh, that's a I'm good audio. I'm not a horror person. Yeah. Um, so I've been nervous about Stephen King, but I have a rule. I had two different people recommend this book to me within a span of a couple weeks. Got to so do it. I have a rule that if two people, especially people whose opinions I respect, recommend something to me, then I have to read it. It's calling to it you. It is a wonderful listen. The narrator is incredible. It's very long. I think it's like 30 hours, but. It is so satisfying to listen to. The premise is basically this man is going back in time to stop the Kennedy assassination, but it's really interested in the way the past like harmonizes and also doesn't want to change. So it's really obdurate and fighting against something. It will get harder to fight against the bigger the event is. Mm. Is this your first king? This is my second king, but this year, I this is my second one because I have a few friends here who are very into Stephen King. And so now I'm kind of dipping my toes in the water. I read Dolores Claiborne earlier this year, I guess last right. year. And then I'm currently reading The Vulnerables, which I know was one of your favorites. Ah! And so I won't talk about it too much because you're gonna talk about it later, but yeah. I am loving it so far. Huge fan of That's such a Nunes. good one. So I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it. Yay. Good reading all around for us, it sounds like. Yeah. Should we move into some book news? There's been some big book news. Yes, most importantly. Yes. You, you go ahead. So you mentioned Maggie O'Farrell, and we are huge yeah. Maggie O'Farrell fans. We loved Hamnet, and they are making it into a movie starring Paul Mezcal, love of our lives, king of, of the lives. sad girls, is going to play Shakespeare, a young Shakespeare. Young Shakespeare. Okay, and I texted you about this earlier, but I was thinking about it the other day, just as I do, just mm -hmm. thinking about Hamnet, thinking about yep. Mezcal. <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know who would be the perfect wife? Now I'm forgetting what her name is in the book. Anne. Anne, Anne thank you. Uh, Paul Mezcal will play Shakespeare, and so this will be Shakespeare's wife. I was like, it should be Jessie Buckley. 
it came to me in a moment. I was like, it should just, I just feel <laughs> it be Jesse Buckley. And then they announced it's going to be Jesse Buckley. And of course, now it wow. sounds crazy. It's one of those things that I wish I had just told someone because now I have to be like, I knew that this was going to be this before it happened. Yeah. <laughs> you have to take my word for it. <laughs> but she's going to be fantastic. Buckley be phenomenal. Yeah. Wait, Kat, tell us, um, tell us about Hamnet. Can you give us a quick, if anyone hasn't read it? Yeah, like if you haven't read it, go get it from the library right read it. now. Yeah. <laughs> it is so good. It's, I feel like a good winter book, too. Mm-hmm. Maggie yeah. O'Farrell writes about Shakespeare's wife, Anne, and it's, um, it is sad, but it is beautiful. It's about Anne and the death of her son, Hamnet, and her processing uh his death and that grief and uh a lot of reflection on motherhood and moving on in grief and parent-child relationships and the tenderness and the connection there and then uh the the whole conceit is that at the end we see how the death of hamnet the shakespeare's son then comes to inform hamlet the famous play and I guess a lot of the novel too is about how do you process a grief that is shared with a partner and how do you process that grief when your partner is a genius working in London most of the time while you're with your family in Stratford-upon-Avon and it's beautiful. It was so stunning. We loved it. I think I gave it to three different people after I read it. Just so, It's one of those books I just started like sending people copies of. Yeah, I I gave it to so many people and I loved, I know my mom loved it and I think many, many mothers I know and love loved it because it describes being a mother just so beautifully. My mother loved it as well. She was one of them that I was like, I'm sorry, here's the book. <laughs> you have to read this. It's in Maggie O'Farrell is just such an intoxicating writer. So you just wonderful. fall right into the world that she builds. So I can't wait to see Paul and Jesse as the Shakespeare. It's going to be amazing. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Thrilling news for us. Yeah. And lots of good new releases coming out in February and a couple by authors that we've read before and are looking forward to reading uh, their newest publication. Kylie Reed has Come and Get It coming out. Mm -hmm. I saw it at the bookstore. Me too. I was at the bookstore today. (laughs) And I saw that Tommy Orange has a new one coming out this month too. Oh, fantastic. I know. So Tommy Orange. I loved There, There. Yeah, wrote There, There. Gosh, it was probably four or five years ago now. Um, but he writes, he's a um, an indigenous person. And I think that this book also, There, There dealt with some themes about being a native person. And this one does as well. I'm pretty sure. It sounded great. I love his writing. Great. I think he's brilliant. Okay, great news. I can't wait for his book to come out. Very curious about Come and Get It, too. Were you a Such a Fun Age fan? I didn't read it, but I know so many people that loved it. Okay. I read it with my book club in Chicago, and we were a little bit more mixed on it than I think the general population was, but I'm very excited to see her second novel. First, when you make such a splash with a debut, I'm always very curious how you're going yeah, to I agree. follow that up. I also noticed they put the list out for National Critics Circle Awards. We've got the finalists um, for fiction. I saw North Woods made it on the list and thought of you. All right. 
And for autobiography, How to Say Babylon made it on the list. Okay. We have our finger on the pole. <laughs> the Critics Circle and Book Fair agree. Some good books. Definitely read these. I mean, that's that's great. I'm happy for, for Northwoods. It deserves a little extra boost. Yeah. I'm happy for How to Say Babylon. And I'm happy for us for being aligned with yes. with the critics. Because that's what's important. Do we agree with them? Because otherwise, what, what are they doing? Otherwise, there? they're probably wrong, right? <laughs> okay. Best books of 2023. So we're going to try to keep this snappy and try to focus on where we found it, maybe a couple sentences on what we loved about it, and then really who would we recommend this for? Uh, both Ashley and I read dozens of books in 2023. Some doozies, some dazzlers, everything in between. And it was really interesting for me to look at both of our lists because we have a couple in common for sure. But then also, I've read a lot of your list, but it wasn't in my top 10. And I'm sure you've read a couple of mine that didn't make your top 10. Yeah. And so that that overlap is inter- interesting. And I, top 10 lists are, you know, we can debate the merits of that or not, but... The upshot is we love these books and we're going to try to steer you in the direction of it. If you're looking for something good to read, these are ones that we adored. So we had two overlaps on our top tens. So why don't we start there? Um, yeah. Kat, tell us about The Vaster Wilds. I will. Okay. The Vaster Wilds is by Lauren Groff. This is Lauren Groff's fourth or fifth book, I want to say. And both of us, I think I've read everything she's written and loved it all. She's an extremely intelligent, industrious writer, I would say. Oh, yes. Very intellectual. Very intellectual. Really treats writing as a profession. And The Vaster Wilds is a survival story. It's about a servant girl who comes across the Atlantic with uh, her Protestant settler uh, employers. And it's sort of alluded to the fact that they're going to like a Jamestown type settlement. So one of the very first very religious, early on. Yes. Yeah. One of the very first religious settlements in North America. She comes over with them. And it's a really interesting, slow reveal of what happened in this settlement because we meet her after she's just run away. She's escaped and it's urgent. She's running into the woods. She's decided that whatever there is out there in this, in the vaster wilds is better than what she's left behind. And it is rough out there. This is North America in 16 something. It is rougher and wilder than we can ever imagine it. We don't even really, I feel like, know what that could even be like. And so we know that it had to be really bad for her to leave. And we learn about it slowly, what happened there to force her to go as she is surviving in the wilderness. And Lauren Groff is a just impeccable writer. And I think one of the things she does best is write about nature. The descriptions of where she is, I'm assuming it's sort of a North Atlantic region. This would be like Virginia, Carolinas going north. It's they're just stunning. No detail goes unmissed. And you might think a book with a bunch of descriptions of nature sounds boring. It is riveting. It is gorgeous. It is riveting. You were rooting for her. You're dying to find out what happens. It's it's not too long. I felt like I really clipped through it, and I was absolutely riveted the entire read, wanting to know what happened to this girl and what was going to happen to her. I saw Lauren Groff speak about this book, so I saw her speak at the New Yorker Fest. 
and she was paired with Jasmine Ward and they were talking about being Southern writers and how writing about the South, like that relationship to nature is so different. And I do think both of those writers write nature so beautifully and so distinctly. Mm -hmm. I also really enjoyed, she was talking about how language shapes the book and the research she did into the language of the 1600s and the rhythm of that language because she wanted the narration to be infused with that rhythm and those patterns, but she didn't want it to feel inaccessible to the average reader. Oh, that's interesting. Because she didn't want it to be written actually in Old English, but she wanted it to be inflected, which I thought was very interesting. I also thought she had kind of a funny bit where she was telling us that her 12-year-old read it with no issues in comprehension. And the whole crowd was kind of like, yeah, humble brag. You have a really smart 12-year-old. That sounds like <laughs> Lauren that. Yeah, we see that. <laughs> but she was wonderful. You read it. You're wonderful. really, really smart. And yeah, smart and it is a smart book. So we found this book as Lauren Groff fans. Um, I heard about it because of the New Yorker Fest So I knew it was dropping because I saw that she was paired with Jasmine Ward, who's one of my favorite contemporary authors, and I was so excited to go. And that's how I first heard of the book. I don't know how you first heard of it. Yeah, same. She's definitely an author that anytime she puts something out, I'll pick it up. We have a few of those on this list that we will talk about, which leads us to our next one, Tom Lake by Ann Patchett, which we loved. Yay. We loved Tom Lake. Something I love about Tom Lake is it's one of the only covid books that has really worked for me i feel like we're still so close to it that occasionally i've been in a book where they start talking about covid and i just like immediately recoil because i'm not ready to face that but yeah or it it, feels cheap (laughs) yes and i thought this was such an interesting use of covid as a plot device so basically the premise is that the three grown daughters are home on their cherry farm in Michigan because of COVID. They are quarantining with their family, with their parents, and they are listening to stories from their mother's kind of young adulthood when she had a brief stint as an actress and she had a romance with a now very famous actor. And so they're getting this story kind of doled out in parts because they have all of this time that they are now spending together that they never would have had before, which I thought was such an interesting way to use COVID to kind of open this story. And we love Ann Patchett. The language is lovely. The characters are so wonderful. The setting as well. We spent a lot of our time, our childhood going to Michigan. We are huge fans of Michigan. So this book was kind of designed for us to love it, but it's really easy to fall into. I've recommended it to people who just like a good family story. I have theater friends who I thought would really enjoy it. But I think if you are interested in those family dynamics or kind of coming of age stories, you get both because you get the her past and her experience growing up in this kind of confusing time, trying to figure out who she is, what she wants, what this relationship is, what this industry is, while also getting her as a mother to three grown daughters. We know how her life turns out, but it still keeps you in that story as she's growing up, even knowing what's going to happen in the end. Yeah, she writes, I think Ann Patchett writes domestic novels so beautifully. She writes family conversation well and captures family dynamic really beautifully. 
I think sometimes they get a little bit of a storybook quality for me. It's hard for me to appreciate tougher themes. I think her writing lends itself mm. to uplifting themes. I see that. And uh, I liked, but that's lovely. This book is just like a warm cup it's of tea. It's just lovely. Yes. <laughs> just, lovely. <laughs> just wonderful. Yeah. And the COVID, the, the, I think you put the inclusion of COVID well, where it's it's really just used as like a raison d'etre. It could have been anything. She could have written any other reason for them all to be home, but COVID worked perfectly. Like they're not having existential conversations about the state of the world or anything like that. It's not a book about COVID, but COVID provides a really easy reason for them all to be home that I think because she didn't focus on it, it made it really believable. And this was another, we read it because we love Ann Patchett. Yeah. Also, my mom is listening to it as an audiobook, and she highly recommends it because Meryl Streep does the audiobook, <gasps> which I oh, think fantastic. would be magical. She's loving it. Yes. She's loving the book, and she's loving Meryl Streep's uh, performance. And I just think, imagine Meryl Streep reading a book that is Tom Lake. It is that type of just, like, lovely, lovely books. Wow. Okay, I'm going to keep that in mind for if I ever need just, like, a really good listen. Yeah, definitely. Great. Well, we've got eight more each. So, Kat, why don't you tell us about one of the other ones on your top ten? Okay. I'm going to start with a fun one. Two of my top ten this year uh, were I, – I guess I kind of linked them as one. But last mm-hmm. year, in 2022, I read The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, mm-hmm. which I had never read before. You know, a well-known thriller. Mm-hmm. wildly famous and it's part of a trilogy i read the first one in summer and i tore through it it was the type of book that it reminded me like reading when i was a kid when you're in a nancy drew book where i just it it's the book version of the dark knight or something like that you are just hmm. in this world it is pulpy it is thrilling the characters are exceptional it is obviously not winning any awards for outstanding writing <laughs> or anything like that. But as far as a readable pulpy thriller, it does not get better. These are my like five-star recommendation. Or often if I need something just to get me back into write- reading, if I'm in kind of a lull and I just need something easy that I know I'm going to want to tear through, uh, this is the perfect thing for that. And so I-, I read the last two in the series in 2023. I read them both on vacation. Because I do think that they are the perfect vacation book and that if I bring something that's too hard, if it takes me too much work to get into it or is too much work to think about, I just won't read. Well, I'm on vacation. I need to be able to like sit down on a train, open the book and be in it or be on the plane, open the book, be in it. Uh, And so I read one of them in Mexico and one of them in Europe and they're just phenomenal, phenomenal. All three of them highly recommend next time you're on a trip or you need a little reading boost and you just want it to be easy and exciting okay i also have not read them but maybe i'll pick one up before my um texas trip this month oh you absolutely should absolutely they're a little scary i will say you're easily yeah. spooked the first one freaked me out a little bit yeah i am easily spooked but <laughs> okay and you told us how you found that oh they're just been on my guilt I... list yeah just kind of part of the cultural conversation for so long yeah and sometimes i look at those and i'm like well if that many people liked it, how good could it actually be? But sometimes <laughs> that many people liked it because it's just really likable. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> this is just really likable. Great. 
Okay, the girl with the dragon tattoo series. Love it. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one I will talk Steve about Martin. is I will talk about A Heart That Works by Rob Delaney. So this is one I found, one of my favorite bookstores here, Books Are Magic. They have the best staff recommends section in the city. I stand by that. They have so many great recommendations and I stock each card to find like my favorite thing to do when I go in a bookstore is to find one of my favorite books that has been recommended by a staff member and then just find all of the other ones that that staff member has recommended. And that is how I found Heart That Works. I love Rob Delaney. Catastrophe is one of my favorite shows. And this was a memoir that he wrote about the illness and the death of his two-year-old son. So obviously quite a heavy read, but it was a really beautiful kind of meditation on family and love and joy and grief and how you can experience all of these things at the same time. It's quite short. Um, I had to do it in bursts because again, it is really heavy, but it was a really interesting kind of picture of like marital love and family love and talking about how you can be in this family even going through something so horrible it was also happening as he was filming catastrophe and it was the first time he had had this level of professional success while having this devastating personal loss so it was a really interesting kind of shading in of the life of a person that i've always just really enjoyed and have enjoyed his work and to get this side of him was really different than i've seen him do before but I would recommend this if you are someone who likes memoirs, if you are someone who can handle some heavy themes, it was really well done. And I think just something I'm glad to have experienced. Mm. I love Rob Delaney too. He's such a treasure. I wish this hadn't yeah. happened to him. <laughs> That's why I feel like I don't want to read yeah. it. I'm like, oh. um, good rec though. I don't have anything else to say to you about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a heavy one. And it's one of those things yeah. where he mentions that in the book of, like, there's not really anything you can say to someone whose child is dying, but you should ask them about it. It's like, no, I want to talk about it all the time. Yeah, it's and like, you should read the I'm book. I'm thinking about this child all the time, um, and I think you should read the book. Yeah, and I think an important thing of seeing and appreciating someone's grief is just being willing to hear the story. That, that feels important to me. Yeah. And the story is a celebration, really, of the kind of child's two years and the rest of the family. They had a child after Henry as well, and they had two young boys at the time. And it was such a celebration, too, of the hospital staff and the mm. people that they met and the people who showed up for them. And it they lived in London at the time, so it is a very interesting as someone who lives in the United States, thinking about the healthcare service and the relationship to healthcare. And he talks about that because they're both American, but they were living in London and the opportunities they had because of the NHS. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that was part of it. Okay. Okay. I am pivoting to my next Absolution by Alice McDermott. I picked this up. I read this because I saw an interview with Ann Patchett, who also owns a bookstore, a fantastic bookstore, Ann Patchett does, in Nashville called Parnassus Books. One of my favorites. So Ann Patchett is not only a phenomenal writer, but 
she keeps a phenomenal bookstore. And I saw in an interview that she thought that Alice McDermott would win the Pulitzer for Absolution. And so I said, say less, Anne. I'll read it. <laughs> if Anne thinks I'm there, Pulitzer, then it probably will. And so I, I grabbed it. Alice McDermott, of course, has been writing for a long time. I've read a couple of her other books, but nothing has really clicked with me. Um, and I loved Absolution. It's about the wives of uh, military and um, embassy workers in Vietnam during the early stages of the Vietnam War. So no one that's, uh, their husbands are not in combat, but they are in Vietnam doing administrative work for the government. And these are the wives in the 70s operating in this role where it's largely support, but also the ways that they recognize that the ways that they are interacting with their community is also having a social and political impact. And it's just a really interesting look at how these different women handle that differently and how they choose to interact with the Vietnamese and their partners and each other. I don't, I'm not even sure I want to say much more than that. It's just, it's, it's really, really interesting. A great reflection on service and commitment in all of the gray areas in between there at a really interesting point in history that uh, we, ha we don't think about the women that were involved in the Vietnam War that often, or at least I don't. This has been on my list for a long time, um, probably because I saw your Goodreads five star and I'm like, okay, should add that to my list. Yeah, it's, it's so really I good. It and you know, I am, I love a historical novel and this is my favorite type where it takes an interesting period of time, but then gives you a lesser told story. If that's your cup of tea, I think you'll love this too. Um, especially if you like reading stories about women in history. Great. Absolution. Okay. We'll add that. Um, my next one is The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by James McBride. This is still on the New York Times bestseller list. I think it was number five when I checked last week. Um, it came out this summer. I loved Deacon King Kong. That was my first James McBride. I know he has written other quite famous books. He's a wonderful writer, a beloved writer. This is a story of a small town in Pennsylvania that has a Black and a Jewish community. The story opens kind of much later in 1972 when developers are coming in and they discover a skeleton. And the premise is, in theory, you're going back in time and it's sort of a murder mystery. To me, it was more of just an ensemble book. There's really interesting characters, these overlapping stories, an interesting kind of dynamic of in the town, outside of the town, how outside forces are coming in. I think McBride is just a really expert character writer. I enjoyed living in this town, getting to know all these people, and some really interesting themes that still apply today, obviously, and people are really enjoying it. But I would recommend if you like kind of an ensemble cast, I think it would make a great movie for that reason too. I could see it as a really good ensemble movie um and if you like kind of a historical fiction it's really i thought expertly done i would say i liked deacon king kong more but i think maybe just because that had a more familiar setting to me but i thought this was a really lovely book i know a lot of people have loved that one i'm not a big james mcbride fan i think that's fair i couldn't tell you why it just doesn't he just doesn't we don't click we yeah. don't have any rhythm me and him but i've heard phenomenal things about it yeah, I really liked it and chose it because I like him. I like Deacon King Kong so much that 
again, once I, if I like one of your books, if you have one five-star book for me, I will read anything you put out. Yeah, we're very loyal. What's your next up, Kat? Okay, next up I have a book called Visitation. It's by Jenny Erpenbeck. She's a German writer and it was it was translated. She she writes in German. And I got this from uh my my boyfriend's father. Not a father-in-law, but a, <laughs> a, a father father and <laughs> what do you call what do we call Larry? I think I think boyfriend's father is fine. My boyfriend's father. My Larry. My Larry gave this to me. <laughs> my larry larry has impeccable taste in books obviously is an english professor and is very astute at gathering aspects of your personality and then recommending a good book based on what he knows about you an excellent skill what a wonderful quality truly a wonderful quality one of many wonderful qualities in larry and i don't think i would have found this otherwise because it's just something that I, i don't know why i ever would have picked it up and i can't really remember why he knows about her um but this book is small it's it's slim it's about 150 pages long and it's about a a little property on the side of a lake in uh the brandenburg forest outside of berlin and very similar to north woods i wonder if some of the inspiration came from this book it follows uh the different individuals who come to live on this property in one way or another Um, if that's the people living in the vacation home or the gardener and we see how their lives interact through this this space but then of course all this is shadowed by uh the the world events that are happening specifically in germany at this time so with world war ii and uh the complications that's a euphemism (laughs) (laughs) the complications is crazy but <laughs> complications of world war ii <laughs> That's tough. the tragedies they don't the tragedies are not suffered in the house but certainly the tragedies are felt it's beautiful her writing is gorgeous it's very uh it's concise and it it writes about the the land in the way that land takes on meaning and the way that passing on land from one generation to the next takes on meaning really beautifully okay fantastic Larry, thank you. We love a Larry Breck. We do. Also, I just realized that earlier I said the title of the Stephen King book wrong. It is definitely 112363, not 66. Noted. If you're looking for that, um, you'll have to look for the correct date, which is not the one I said. So That makes more sense because (laughs) it's the date of... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> a lot more sense. I was like, what does this number mean? But you're like, course, it's so weird. Yeah. Okay. That's on me. Um, we all make mistakes. All good. We forgive you. Okay. Speaking of people making mistakes, the next one I have on my list is Crossroads by Jonathan Franzen, Oof. which was something recommended to me by a friend. Um, I actually, this was my first Franzen. I just never read him, but As someone who loves a family story, a multiple perspective story, and a Midwest story, I was pretty primed to like it. It follows the Hildebrandt family. Russ and Marion are the parents. Their marriage is kind of on the rocks, and they have four children, Clem, Becky, Perry, and Judson. It takes place in the 70s in a suburb of Chicago. 
which we love Chicago, so it's always fun to see some Chicago representation. Each chapter follows a different character's perspective, and I love this kind of sprawling family saga, as we talked about with the bee sting. And the characters are so uniquely strange and compelling, and I finished reading the book thinking, did I love this? Did I hate this? Who are these people? But I continued thinking about it for so long and I just fell right into it. So it made my list. Um, I had some hesitations. I don't think the women characters were altogether fleshed out or perfectly done, but I did think it was just a generally really entertaining, interesting story and would recommend it if you like a family story. And I felt a good entry into Franzen if you have not done Franzen before. I did my first Franzen last year too, but I did the corrections, not Crossroads. I read that after. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll get into Franzen. Corrections was good. I liked Crossroads much better than the corrections. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Maybe maybe I'll pull that off my bookshelf. I know I own Crossroads as well. I agree with you though about him writing female characters. Yeah. I'm like, I, I'm not sure that you like them. No, and I don't think that he likes any of his characters. Yeah, but I'm like, you you seem to have like a special, you have like a special disdain for the women, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. Let's think about that and maybe talk about that at some point. (laughs) We'll see, but but I did really enjoy it. It was one I read in the summer when I had time off and could just like sit in the park on a tree reading all day. Um, And it was a good one for that because it is a big one and it will really kind of hook you in yeah friends and is great for that reason okay i have another one that i got off a booker list my mother and i were in london last summer and there was a display of all the booker long list nominees and we were kind of in a rush and honestly we just grabbed this one because it looked good and we trusted that it would be <laughs> because it was on the booker yeah. long list <laughs> and it ended up being one of my favorite books of the year and and she really liked it as well it's called old god's time it's by Sebastian Barry. He's an Irish writer. I- I've read um, a couple of his other books. He's he's had a few that have won a couple awards, uh, but nothing recently that I've read. And it's about a retired policeman, Tom Kettle, and he's retired and he's settled into this little house on the sea and has decided that this is where he's going to spend his final days watching the sea, being unbothered, drinking tea, and he sort of is having these flashbacks to his previous life as a policeman, but trying to ignore them and just enjoy his retirement quietly when two of his colleagues show up at his door and they announce that they're reopening a case that he worked on when he was a younger man and uh, they need his help. And so he starts working on the case a little more. And as the book unfolds, you understand more about his involvement with the, with this case and how it involved his family members as well. And it's, I think one of the things I liked about it most is you don't often know whether he's remembering something or whether he's experiencing it in the exact moment the, in a way that feels really reminiscent to being in an, in an elderly mind hmm. or maybe even not an elderly mind, just when you're trying to will something that happened in your past out of your own existence anymore and forget about it how you twist stories to become something different and it and you can't tell what he's twisting and what actually happened for much of the book and you're starting to pick up hints and figure it out 
but it all felt very haunting and and real in a way that I, I I feel like we do that every day with our memories and our experiences. Great. Okay. Old God's time. The next one on my list is Small Worlds by Caleb Azuma Nelson. This was another one where I loved open water. And so I picked up Small Worlds when I saw it in the bookstore because I loved his first one so much. It's a coming of age story that follows a first generation immigrant living in London. Stephen's parents immigrated from Ghana. And we kind of meet Stephen right when he's finishing high school and he is facing all of the questions that we face when we're finishing high school. Should he move away from home? Pursue the university degree that his parents want him to pursue, pursue or go after his true passion of music. There's love stories which get complicated when you're 18 and you are separated. There's interest in kind of sibling dynamics, but the big question he's facing that all 18 year olds face, we all face all the time, is how can you kind of create a life for yourself that you're happy living? And we watch him stumble and keep trying. It's written in really poetic prose, which is something I love and something I know you don't love as much. I do not. Um, so this was one that I knew was kind of designed for me. I really loved it. I also would recommend Open Water. It was one of the more interesting books stylistically that I read when it came out a few years ago. It's written in second person poetic prose, which is very rare, but it was stunning. And both books are quite small. So you kind of gulp them up, but really beautiful, really lovely. I okay. would recommend. A good rock for others that like a a more poetic prose some beautiful language yeah um if you're out there i need more of you on my side um so let me know yeah i'm fussy about that i don't want it to be flowery (laughs) bring on the flowers stop and smell the flowers no i just don't want it i don't want it that's what i'm here for yeah okay i have one that i know you've read to and loved this was a reread for me last year, and I'm bringing it back into my top 10 because I. Wow. It was top 10 on the reread, which is amazing. This is The Five Wounds. So good. By Kirsten Valdez Quaid. And it came out in 2021, I want to say. Yeah, 2021. And I read it that year. It was recommended to me by my favorite college English professor. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a great place to get Rex. Keep in touch with your college professors, your favorite college professors, especially your English professors, because of course they're reading the best stuff, and of course they know what you're going to like. So shout out Dr. M, who recommended this to me, and then I read it again this year because I was taking an adult – I don't even really know what to call it. It's not a literacy class. It's not a book club. It was just a a class on the Catholic – imagination and fiction for adults so we read three books one of them was the five wounds i reread it and i just loved it even more it's about a family living outside of santa fe new mexico in a small sort of impoverished community called uh las penas and it's a father and his teenage daughter so amadeo is the father and he had his daughter angel when he was a teenager and then Angel is now pregnant. And then they're both living at home with Amadeo's mother and Angel's grandmother, Yolanda. And it's just the best family dynamic story I think, I don't want to say I've ever read. 
but it's definitely up there. It captures these characters so well. It imbues them with so much dignity and complexity and humor. You just, you love all of them and they are certainly not without their faults, but it plays those faults and those strengths, uh, I think with so much honesty towards what people are actually like. And you really root for them as they (laughs) make mistakes and, and course correct. Um, but most of the book focuses on Angel preparing for the birth of her son and Amadeo kind of figuring out how he can finally grow up now that his own daughter is having a child and he is living at home with his mom. He's never been able to hold a job. He's just floundering <laughs> big time. And so they're they're all just trying to figure out how to move forward and be there for each other and support each other. Would be a really fun one to take a class on. I am jealous that you got to talk about that in a classroom setting. It was so great. And everyone loved it. And it, it, the class was Catholic imagination and fiction because a lot of it is about, um, I wouldn't call it like a Catholic book or anything like that. Anyone should read it. Um, there are some Catholic themes and, and they're involved in their community Catholic church. And part of them figuring out what type of people they want to be and what type of family members they want to be involves them thinking about their relationship with Christ and in their community church and their their family history it's often laugh out loud funny the, ca- the characters are just great i recommend it to anyone truly you're really making me want to read i haven't read it since i read it when it came out yeah i'm not a rereader and then rereading it's this so i was like should i be rereading some of my favorite <laughs> books <laughs> yes probably yeah it, it was it's excellent i can't recommend it enough okay fantastic um speaking of professor recommendations. My next one is a recommendation from my old favorite college professors, professor, and it is Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason. It's basically the story of a woman whose husband has just moved out when we meet her, and there's something wrong with her. She has an unnamed lifelong mental illness that she is kind of trying to decipher what might be wrong with her, and the other characters in the book are trying to figure out what is going on with her and she then has this whole journey of what she wants out of life and what she's had so far and what it has meant to go up against this unnamed illness that remains unnamed for the entire book which I found really interesting because we just have this kind of almost anonymous foe that she is going up against It's a pretty simple and familiar premise, but the writing was sharp. It was funny. Character was relatable and pleasant, and it was just a really interesting meditation on life and grief and motherhood and relationships and what it means to be an adult and what it means to suffer. Something invisible is maybe the wrong word, but to go through something that is not always legible to somebody else. And I thought it was a really just went about it in a really interesting way and I had a really good time with the book and would recommend it to who would I recommend this book to it's fiction right it's not it's fiction yes um I'm trying to think of what kind of box I would put it in I don't think I've heard of it like women finding themselves again but in a non-cheesy way (laughs) okay Um, I I like that but I found it to be really engaging Awesome. Do you have any more you want to discuss or do you want to talk about the vulnerables? I have two more. Don't you have two more? Well, one of mine was the bee sting. Oh, one of mine is the bee sting as well. Bee sting. People 
out there listening. Yeah. If you want to talk about the bee sting, um, we talked about it for an hour. But no, I've got two more. Go ahead. Give us another one. And then let's talk about the vulnerables. I think I maybe only grabbed nine. Okay. Numbers. Numbers are hard. Marita. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're English people. <laughs> I'm like, I can count it. I thought I could count to 10. Normally, I'm like, whatever I can do on my fingers, I can handle. But apparently, even that. <laughs> um, one of mine is Stay True by oh, Hwasu. I loved that. Um, So I first heard about it on a movie podcast that I listened to. But they are friends with the author. And they got the notification that he won the Pulitzer while they were recording. Oh, no so way. It was this like, really beautiful moment where they were so excited about him winning this Pulitzer and they were talking about how wonderful the book is so I was like oh, I guess I'll check out this book but it is another memoir good year for memoirs for me but he was writing about kind of late high school early college and his friendship with another college student Ken and the way that friendships are built in that time of your life and how so much is built on shared interest and just like the amount of time you have so much of their relationship just centers around they have so much time to fill they're just kind of dicking around smoking cigarettes outside making zines and this is on the back cover so this is not a spoiler but his friend is abruptly killed in a carjacking and then the book is really kind of an attempt to make sense of the grief and to celebrate that friendship But I thought it was such an interesting depiction of adolescence and that time in your life when you were forming your identity. And so much of it is formed around what you like, what kind of clothes you wear, what kind of music you're listening to, the kind of art you're interested in, and how you can identify yourself with these outside markers and how much those really matter because they have opposite outside markers, but still find their way together. And I thought it was just a really beautiful story of friendship and identity formation and the writing was really accessible and interesting and I had a great time with this memoir and recommended it to a lot of friends who I felt could relate to an experience like this. Yeah I loved this book too I think you described a lot about what I loved it well and it it talks about identity in such a a meaningful way I think especially in your because a lot of it is taking place most of it is taking place in their early 20s and he's mm-hmm. reflecting on who he was when he was in his early 20s. And so much of creating your identity is, like you said, positioning it against other people's and, yeah. and positioning your interests against others. And I think that it's so easy when you're someone who really cares about things when you're a teenager and uh, and in your early 20s. And certainly this is something that you no know, one just grows out of at any stage. But most people, I think, tend to grow out of this a little bit. It's really easy to take your interests so seriously that it becomes snobbery towards other people's interests totally ranking other things underneath it as less than those interests a lot of what he realizes in his relationship with ken is that ken just doesn't care (laughs) yeah and that's so attractive to him and so foreign to him in learning that just because he's into something doesn't make you know what other people are interested in less good yeah and that, that realization and that growth, I think, is an important part of being a creative. Totally. All right. Tell us about The Vulnerable. Okay. This is one of my favorite books of last year. I'm so glad you're reading it now. Have you finished it? No. No, I'm it's about... Not, it's um, not a spoilery book. I'll, I'll just describe why I loved it. 
I would absolutely recommend this to anyone who's a, a writer or anyone who who reads a lot and like likes thinking about reading and writing because it honestly felt like a long journal entry by it, it's a fictional character but it is obviously a thinly veiled Sigrid Nunez the author you can tell she based a lot of it on herself and we're not privy to what is her thought and what she's creating for this character there seem to be a lot of commonalities and it's covid she is living in new york and she's agreed to help out a friend by staying in their apartment and taking care of this pet parrot that they have while they're unable to be in new york and she's living there taking care of the parrot and then they have another family friend who ends up crashing in this apartment as well uh this teenage teenage boy so it's a lot about their relationship and the conversations that they're having as as a writer in her middle age and as a teenage boy who's just starting his life while they both happen to share this space unexpectedly and strangely and also a lot of it is just her reflecting on being a writer and what makes a good story and how to tell stories and how we tell stories to each other and how we tell stories on paper it's full of quotes from all sorts of other authors um it's a real delight if you are a reader or a writer i think it is so smart it goes fast i'm sure you're tearing through it it's a short book it's almost like reflections a series of reflections on being a being a person who tells stories in the year 2020. I'm loving it so far, but Nunez is just such an incredible writer. Yeah, how much do you think? How much do you think the character is based on her? I always find that sort of a slippery slope, um, because with almost anything, it could be like 100 percent, zero percent. But I think it's so easy, especially when there is a writer character, to just automatically place like this is the author. Yeah, and I, she's she's aware of that. And yes. clearly playing off of that, <laughs> which I yes. think is why it's so interesting. Is like she she's messing with us in a in a really satisfying way. I am I am really enjoying it. I think it's going to be one of my faves for this year. Okay, I have one more, um, which was Francisco by Allison Mills Newman. This is a book that was sort of lost to time and has been recently revived. I'm always really interested in this phenomenon especially I'm a huge Zora Neale Hurston fan. So the revival of old works, bringing them back to light, something I love. And Sadia Hartman wrote the foreword for this. And I saw her speak in grad school, obsessed with her. And so I was like, all right, great. It was in the bookstore recommended section at Unnameable Books here in New York. So I grabbed it. And it's a really short story of kind of an early 20s black woman and her relationship with the titular indie filmmaker francisco francisco is such an indie filmmaker name (laughs) i know he's great you would love him honestly um he is an eccentric perfect weirdo indie filmmaker and allison which is also the main character's name is telling an almost diaristic story of her life in california her involvement in the black arts movement, her disillusionment with Hollywood. She's an actress. She's a model. She is sort of detached from all of this while being totally enmeshed in it. The language was incredible and it is just this really brief kind of shining moment and then it is done. But I thought it was a very interesting story. I would recommend it to anyone interested in like 70s Hollywood, which I am always interested in any old Hollywood stories. I think it was a really interesting coming of age story as well, just in kind of 
that time in your life, those early 20s when you're just sorting through who you are and when everything seems disinteresting because you are so overwhelmed by choice and options that so often you choose nothing. Um, so I thought it was a really well done book. The foreword is amazing as well and kind of places it in the canon, um, which was an interesting thing to read as well. It sounds great. You sold me on that. Amazing. Let's go to our fun question and then wrap it up. Yeah, I love this question. Okay. <sighs> Catherine, to wrap us up, I have a question for you. We are recording on Grammy night, so I am thinking about the Grammys and music. And I was wondering if you could have a contemporary artist write a song based off of one of the novels on your list, which artist would you choose and what book? Phenomenal question. Did you come up with this on your own? I did. Thank you. I appreciate this. I feel like this is your teacher speaking. This is a good icebreaker. Thank you. Maybe I'm going to start using it in class. Yeah. Back <laughs> an in exit question. ticket. An yeah. exit ticket. <laughs> okay, Just let me think about summary this assessment. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is going to show my my lack of music knowledge that I don't even know who's nominated for Grammys. They don't have to be nominated for a Grammy. This can be any artist. But I'm just like, I don't even know who's contemporary these days. Okay, I have one. Okay, you you go first, and then and then I'll do mine because I I think I'm maybe this will maybe this will um spark something for you. Yeah, the Vaster Wilds walks a hatchy. Oh, okay. Do we see it? Do we see the vision? Yeah, she writes about nature really beautifully too, and the southern southern natural world especially. Okay, great call. I feel like that is the moment okay i was gonna say fiona apple for visitation or northwoods i think mm. she writes about time and connections across generations well okay i love that get some good metaphor in there some of them i'm like no one can write a song that's good enough for the five wounds <laughs> <laughs> that's fair there's some also that you like, can't capture the heart of the song, five wounds yeah. <laughs> in a song <laughs> although someone surely could I don't know who it would be. Tom Lake, I'm sure you could come up with something. It, it feels like it would be something a little folksy. Yeah. I could see Adrian Lanker doing something sort of Tom Lakey. Cause she I think the themes about like are the, too bourgeois for They're definitely Adrian too – they're also too bright for her. Yeah. But she can do the simultaneous kind of child-mother dynamic. Yeah, that's true. Really, that's really well. true. true. So the simultaneous storylines I could see her doing. Boy genius could see them yeah i see that okay i love this question and i'm gonna th- try to think about this cross media approach for our next takeout what do you yeah. call it well, takeout question <laughs> <laughs> it's our it's our exit ticket yeah i was thinking about um one of my favorite taylor swift songs is based off of the novel rebecca which i love yeah and such a weird confluence when that album came out because I had just read Rebecca and then that album came out and she was like oh I was inspired by the novel Rebecca and I just know there's so many songs inspired by music but I feel like my general oh absolutely is like, okay how would I want to see this visually represented yeah so often think tv movies I'm like well there's so many other artistic representations of novels yeah, and it would be an interesting question to ask each of these authors because I'm sure all of them either wrote while listening to music or have have some sort of auditory sense of what their book should sound like yes. or the soundtrack that they imagined to it. 
I had a friend in college who would make a playlist for every book they read. So it's like, this book is this album. That is commitment to an aesthetic. Deep commitment. And similar to the stay true where you're like, yeah, no, this is your your bit. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is who I you are. It. But, but cool. But cool. So Yeah. I'm not going to do it, but you know. No, but we respect it. <laughs> Go off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. This has been excellent. I feel like I got a lot of good recs from your list. Me too. So thank you. Speaking of good rec. Oh. I was going to say. Oh, yeah. Do you want to tell us about small things like these? Yes. I do want to tell us about it. And truthfully, I don't know that much about it. Other, I know that Claire Keegan is a esteemed Irish author. And it's very short. She's known for writing her for short fiction especially short stories and short fiction and i know that it's it's 1980s ireland which appears to be a tiny christmas story at the beginning and then opens up to story of a little bit more intrigue oh this is i like how we just had no idea what this was about i know (laughs) (laughs) we're both like oh who knows (laughs) in a nutshell Keegan is measured and merciless as she dissects the silent acquiescence of a 1980s Irish town in the church's cruel treatment of unmarried mothers oh. and the cost of one man's moral courage. Okay. So. Well, we're excited to read it. Um, that will be our next episode. If you want to read it before we talk about it, you can pick up small things like these at your local bookstore, at the library. Borrow it from a friend. I bet it would be a quick listen. If you are an audiobook person, I am a huge proponent of Libby. If you do not use Libby and you are an audiobook person, I highly recommend it. You can connect through your local library and get audiobooks from the library, which I love to be able to do as well. Yeah, Libby is awesome. So good. Yay. I can't wait to talk about it. It sounds like we're going to be talking about perhaps injustice, the nature of evil, the systems or circumstances motherhood. that allow for it to happen or not happen, motherhood. Religion, Ireland. Again, we promise we're once not again only read Irish novels. But, <laughs> we return but to this Ireland. Time we are. <laughs> this is good. We proved in between that we do read things that are not exclusively Irish lit. <laughs> That's true. That's important. That is true. Okay. But yeah. We look forward Happy to the next reading. episode. Happy reading. Thanks for tuning in to Book Fair. As always, if you want to talk to us about books, if you have recommendations questions responses follow us at book fair pod on instagram we will also be offering a giveaway for both the beasting and small things like these so if you want a free book give us a follow otherwise happy reading and rate us five stars on spotify so true thank you to everyone who listened to us we love you mom and mom (laughs) mom and mom And brother. Thanks, brother. Yeah. We love you. We love all of you. Ciao, buddy. Ciao, babe.